Um, People ask me all the time how I deal with jet lag since I travel so much, and the answer is simple. I'm just tired. <laughs> it's not a good answer, but it's the answer. I, I feel like that's true for me, too. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 273 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. It's a full crew today. Seth Miller, Fosma Mood, me, Stephen Seagraves. Uh, it's the, you know, New Year's Eve Eve before we hit 2020. End of a decade. Can, can I it? claim that it's only two and a half of us here and not all three of us? Because you're so tired? I'm still zonked. <laughs> Does well, the decade technically start at 2020 or 2021? Oh, God. <laughs> We're going to do the Y2K, end of the century, end of the millennium thing again? <laughs> I just had to get Stephen riled up. <laughs> it's like the discussions I don't want to have. <laughs> oh, how you how you doing, Seth? How are you recovering? Um, yeah. tired, not sleeping right yet, but happy to be home. That's good. Um, yeah. let's let's talk about that first. Uh, you you know, you guys were supposed to be gone until uh, early January in, in yeah. India. And uh, I, I, I would argue that supposed to be gone is a relative uh, construct. <laughs> we, right, well, what, you know, I've been planning this trip for six months now, probably uh-huh. nine months. It's been a while that we decided to do it. And we sort of, you know, sketched out what we wanted it to look like in general. But th- at the very beginning, the idea was like, we'll have an entry point and then like just take trains places or buy or whatever, but like bounce around until we got bored or otherwise chose to leave, like till we were done and then we'd come home and then. There was some debate back and forth about how long, you know, what the outside time cap on that would be. And we ended up with about 60 days total travel time. And so Mm -hmm. I put together an itinerary that filled that in. But the idea of sort of being able to leave whenever we wanted to was still there in the back of my mind. So, you know, one day we were sitting there and like not eating particularly well in the town we were in and having, you know, various other frustrations and challenges and finally looked at each other. I was like, why don't we just go home? If we're, if we're done with the trip, then we can be done with the trip. We'd been in Asia for 50 days or 48 at that point. We came home on day 50. We'd been in India for three and a half weeks, Mm -hmm. I think. So, um, you know, it's part of it was changing and coming home earlier, but that's earlier than what the maximum outside date was going to be. Yeah. So did, did part know. of this have to do with getting food poisoning a little bit, but not as much as you probably want to think. Like yep. we, we definitely had a couple bad days and spent all of our time in Ahmedabad in a hotel room recovering rather than going out and exploring. I think the most exciting thing I did was walk around the corner from the hotel to a pharmacy to buy more drugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> was, so. were you, you were actually able to find something that was uh, usable that helped. Um, yes and no. We, there was a decent amount of Imodium, uh, okay. just to sort of stop things from moving too much. But then after that, it, you know, it's hard to tell what actually was wrong. Yeah. Right. And so there's the, oh, immediately go and get, you know, antibiotics camp. I try not to do that if I can avoid it because I spent a lot of my youth taking, uh, amoxicillin for sinus infections and, and part of the problem more than I am part of the solution. So I try not to get too much into the whole, uh, excessive consumption of antibiotics these days and mostly was feeling better. Um, you know, not great, but was able to process some food and get some stuff to stay in me. So like considered it to mostly be okay. Um, needed to get some extra Tylenol kind of stuff. Um, And some, what else we get? Some Tums, like antacid, um, some hydration salts to help out because the stuff that I brought, we had started to run out of. Just things like that. Um, 
And it, they, it's actually shocking how cheap drugs are and easily accessible they are. That was a nice discovery. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was that was, you know, Andavad. And then we were like, OK, well, shit, we're done. Our time here is over. And by the time you know we left there, we were there for three nights and literally didn't do anything. Uh, and then and that we and we went the day like the morning. We got sick at three in the morning. That afternoon, we flew to Andavad. We spent three nights there and then moved on. Um, we got to Udaipur and we're actually pretty much on the mend, like going out, exploring, not super hungry again yet, mm. but like eating a little bit. Um, I was and I was doing a little better than Linnea was. But I think part of the problem was um, truly was the eating situation and not that like we don't like Indian food or that we couldn't trust it or any of those other things. But it became an issue of everything tasted like Indian food. And it is rare to eat the same for me to eat the same type of food for three weeks straight, much less one week or any number of consecutive days. And even when we're traveling in Europe, I'll find like, okay, we can have, you know, different types of food. I mean, hell, we've done sushi in Germany or, you know, kebabs or whatever it is. And so in India, that's a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it was the same flavor profiles on everything all the time, even if you tried to order Thai food, it came out tasting a little bit like Indian food kind of thing. Um, you know, the, we weren't having fun enjoying the food as much anymore. We both love to cook and we hadn't cooked in six weeks. We, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things about life that we wanted to get back to. Yeah. I mean, 50 days out of the country is a long time. Yeah. On its own. Uh, yeah. The fact that you were willing to do 60 days, uh, I mean, that's, that's two months, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, uh, I can't imagine doing that. I don't know. I don't know about you, Fuzz. It's insane. We both have stretches of homebodiness to us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the, the other part of it is like there's people that, you know, are, you know, semi permanent travelers, you know, whether it's digital nomad life or backpacker or whatever you want to call it of, you know, like I'm going to go spend six months in a place. And what I, I thought about that a little bit at one point when we were, you know, years and years ago, when we were thinking about a similar type of trip, it, we were talking about doing something like that, like go somewhere for six months. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a different type of trip. Like this was, you know, a week of hiking, then three days in a city, then a week of this, then a week of that, and three days here and three days there. There was no getting grounded. There was no establishing a base. There was no downtime anywhere yeah. along the way. And you know, the the other option would have been like rent an apartment for six months somewhere and then take weekend trips, take day trips places, you know, three, four be, days. Be a here local. And there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The hard part about that is like to learn what it takes to be a local is not a one week or two week thing, right? That can take so long to just settle in that by the time you figure it out, it's time to leave again. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's a challenge. Um, I mean, do you think you'll take another 50 day, 60 day trip in the no. future? No. Absolutely. Do you, not. do you think like the six month thing somewhere is a much more likely option for you and Linnea? No. This kind of just ta- this kind of just taught you that uh, we like being home. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you know, like, and the six month thing is sort of like just getting a new home somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did. You know, you may remember we lived in Florida for a few months last year while we were selling our house. Um, it was more like that, right? That was four months, I think. And we had to make house and settle in and meet people and find a new gym and find new grocery stores and all those things. We were fortunate that we did it somewhere that we were familiar and had been before. So a lot of that, like we knew the grocery store already. We knew a lot of those things. Yeah. But even that was trying to make new friends and find a new community is hard. Yeah. And, you know, we can do without it. But then why bother? It's just, you know, it's just the two of us only talking to each other all the time. Um, 
don't get me wrong, I love her, but I like talking to other people too. <laughs> uh, right? It just, it, I, we both want other conversations, other stimulation, other uh, inputs, and it was not something that was readily available until you have to work. You know, it was too much work to find the uh, to build those relationships, and it's not worth building them if you're just going to walk away in three months or yeah. six months. But I mean, for you then, is there like a perfect length of a vacation, or is it kind of one of these? I'll make the call uh, as we're going. Is that kind of how you see your future travels together going? You know, I, I think that we probably won't try to push to the breaking point again. Mm. Um, and we'll say, you know, maybe it, it's a week or two. I mean, depends on where we're going and what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. We were happy to have a longer trip in India this time because it gave us the opportunity to adjust and get settled and maybe not settled, but like time zone wise and other things, we switched, right? We were on that time zone completely and did things based on that. So there's, there is some value in having the extra time. I think, but I think also like the longest trip we had done prior to this was three and a half weeks. And even that was starting to push like, gosh, are we going to get home at some point? And so yeah. yeah, I don't see that changing too much. Yeah. Boz, what do you like? Do you typically like, do you have like a limit on your uh, travel length or are you more of a, I'll just uh, travel till I'm bored or what? Oh, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't like being home away from home all that much. Uh, probably like a week is probably the most I'll do at some yeah. point. Every once, you know, every couple of years I can do a long trip, but other than that, it's really even a week sometimes seems long. Yeah. How long were you in Australia for? Uh, well, I mean, the trip was like eight days, but really with all the travel, I think I was there for about five days and then totally. for one day. Yeah. 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 I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I think, I think once you like are gone for a certain amount of time, you're kind of like, all right, uh, I've done it. I've seen it. I mean, you know, Seth, at the beginning of your trip, you guys were really psyched about uh, hiking and uh, a lot of the, the kind of being disconnected. And do you think that played a role in being uh, a little more tired and ready to come home later on? Um, Like the being disconnected part? Well, not the being disconnected, but more like the, you know, you guys were doing big hikes. Yeah. Uh, do you think um, like there was a little bit of wear and tear on your bodies? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we definitely worked at those hikes. I mean, they were not casual walks, but I think that, and Linnea got a little, had a little more trouble with the second one than I did. There was some challenges with temperature. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember we us talking at, about, uh, yeah, 12,000 really feet cool. and it was 30 degrees, 25 degrees Fahrenheit at night. So, you know, below zero Celsius at night and not insulated very well. So, you know, yeah. you, you wear heavy clothes and you put a bunch of blankets on and you hope you sleep, but you know, when the beds are slightly softer than a marble slab and you're freezing, that's hard. Yeah. So yeah. we were definitely worn out from that. She actually had a lot of trouble the last night of the uh, second hike. And then the next day after we sort of got back to ground level, just getting uh, temperature regulation. Yeah. Maintaining her warmth body, you know, core temperature sort of dropped too low. So that was not good um, and certainly detracted from the next few days while she was trying to recover. And it had some spillover effect, I'm sure. But even without that, I think it was, you know, it was more mental than physical. Mm. It's not, it's not like, and it's like, like, not like this is a judgment on India. This is, this was just kind of like, you're done with the trip. Yeah. Like if I had done this in Thailand, it would have been the same way. Yeah. Probably. I don't know that we made it quite, we would have made it quite as long. I think the food, we would have had a few more options, but the stuff to do, maybe not quite so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting topic. I mean, I think, you know, to our listeners, I mean, how long is it, is too long for you or... Is how long is too long for you, Stephen? How long is too long for me? 
Um, I would say I kind of top out at like two weeks. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of a, you know, we were, Jess and I did a kind of a whirlwind tour of Europe, um, mostly Western Europe. So, you know, Paris, uh, Belgium, Germany, and Austria. Yeah. And we did that in like two weeks. And it was a lot, it, I think for me that what made it tiring was that we were on the move a lot of the time. So like, kind of like what you're saying, like being on trains and then, yeah. you know, you're in a new place for two days and then you're on a train again. Um, as attractive as that sounds, it actually is mentally kind of, it wears on you. I think it drains you more, right? If you go to one place and just sit, sit, sit still, yeah. you have time to disconnect and actually recover. Whereas if you just keep going from spot to spot, you're just always on the go and never really resting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think, I think that was, was a big problem for us too. Like we were doing three and four nights places, but it was still, you know, we had packed our bags sort of right to the limits. So making sure everything fit again was tough and like unpack, repack, get up and go. And then add into that, uh, we had a train cancel, an overnight train that canceled and no one told us. And I found out about it 48 hours before and had to scramble to rebook. We had a flight cancel on the, the rebooked flight. The connection canceled. Uh, we had delays. We had, we had more travel troubles than I'm used to by far, mm. like bad. And, and that stress where, I mean, it really physically, mentally wears on you to like be worrying, right? To be worrying while you're traveling. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, it's, it's we not a vacation delays. anymore. Yeah, we had delays in and out of Delhi every time we touched it. And even a flight, our last flight domestically was from Jaipur to Mumbai, or Udaipur to Mumbai, didn't touch Delhi at all, but the plane came from Delhi, and so we were still delayed. Yeah. Um, right? Of our flights, we had one that was on time but required a terminal change that we had to take a taxi uh, to get between terminals outside security, one that was canceled, one that was delayed over an hour. And that was the day while we were sick. And then one that was a half hour delayed because of the flight coming from Delhi. Hmm. So, you know, I sort of could it be Newark also, right? Like someone could sneeze or could be cloudy <laughs> in Newark and it'd be the same problem. It's true. But we were dealing with it also in Delhi and, you know, not at a home airport, not somewhere we were used to being. Yep. So yep. just a little added, uh, challenge factor there. Absolutely. Um, some stories, uh, that we can talk about. Uh, Mullenberg is out at Boeing. Yeah, he got booted. And a lot of people are saying he's resigning, uh, or he resigned. Uh, it was he was kind of forced to resign, right? It was kind yeah. of a firing. I still don't understand that. I mean, I do. I get it. It sucks. It's stupid. It frustrates me terribly that, like, oh look, I can uh, negotiate in my contract that you'll hire me and pay me obscene amounts of money, and if I do a really, really terrible job. When you fire me, you'll still pay me an extra obscene amount of money so that I go away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess one of the questions, what do you find as a terrible job, right? Under his tenure, the stock has gone up substantially. Sure. They've had, they've had clearly the max issue is looming and the 777X isn't doing all that great. But there's there are things that under his tenure that have happened that have been good for Boeing as well. Absolutely. And I would argue that he was well compensated for all of those things at the times that they happened. And to give him $60 million to go away is shitty. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's this terrible commentary on business and how everything works. Do you think um, Mullenberg will find a job elsewhere in the aviation industry, or is do you think he's kind of done? Oh, who knows? He might be replacing Parker soon. Oh, God. <laughs> you really do hate AA, don't you? I'm just, you know, considering that uh, Kellner is now the uh, chairman of, right, is the new chairman at yep. Boeing? He is former continental ceo so there's a, to have to, to sort of have the airline guy run boeing now and the boeing guy run an airline is amusing what's ironic <laughs> is remember gordo came from boeing and now kellner's gone back yeah 
Oh man. <laughs> um, is there anything else you guys can think of? You know, who's, who's now the CEO of, of Boeing? Oh God, some hedge fund guy, right? But he has experience, right? With kind of disasters or issues at, at, at companies. There was something, yes. I do not remember the details. I'm going to look at the... Yeah. I'll look. I think the awkward part is, you know, or one of the awkward parts... Calhoun. Is the, yeah, the, the Calhoun, who, who was form, formerly the chairman of the board, and that, yeah. right, that's so he had to that's leave correct. that role, and that's why uh, Kellner took over with it. Um, he, you know, on behalf of the board, was endorsing Muhlenberg's performance and approach, you know, they they were it was sort of a great job brownie kind of mm. comment. They were endorsing him and supporting him right up to the point they kicked him out the door. So, but do you think this could be fallout from the FAA's commentary about Muhlenberg pressuring them? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but and it could be fallout from his testimony in Congress where he got up and you know acknowledged you know claimed he didn't know what the company's legal uh, strategy was. Although that was long enough ago that probably not. Um, but right, like any of those. Decisions, any of those the approaches to the business had to be endorsed and supported by the board. Right. He doesn't decide on his own, this is what I think we should do. Well, you're correct, but he was the one who was publicly making a lot of statements more aggressive. Yes. He was the face of it. And clearly there's an undertone from the FAA commentary that he was trying to push them into uh, accelerating. Absolutely. No, I, I completely, I absolutely, and I think you're spot on in terms of why, uh, you know, that being a major factor, but it's not like the board and Calhoun weren't also fans of that approach. Agreed. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And, and Calhoun was actually, he started at General Electric and then ran GE's uh, engine business after September 11th. So that was kind of his challenge that he had faced before. Um, oh, so he was, he was there for making the GE 90 a yep. success. So, you know, he has some experience in kind of, you know, making sure companies get through crisis times. Yeah. Um, but again, like you said, you know, he's, he backed uh, Mullenberg. And yeah. does, does he really see the issue with what's going on at Boeing? The, the team, other thing I've heard, um, and I, I believe is accurate, I just never bothered to check it because the people saying it hurt people I trust well enough, is that there's a cap on Boeing somehow has a cap that you you have to retire by the time you're 65 as CEO and he's like 63. Yeah. Or 62. So yeah. Something like 62, that. Yeah. So he's a guaranteed short timer. Yeah. And so they, you see him as like, he's going to be a short timer. He's going to get replaced in the near future with someone else. Um, after Boeing has a chance to kind of, uh, get resettled, I guess. And yeah, I issues. think he's a caretaker, arguably more than a, uh, fixer. Like a strategy uh, fixer, and, and yeah, I mean, we'll, and we'll see. Obviously, we'll see what they change and how things shift. But I, I don't know. I'd be they have to do something different, but I'd be surprised if it's like dramatically different. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cutter Airways did something very strange recently. Um, they took delivery of some seven eighty sevens that flew to uh, Cutter, um, and then the next day turned right back around and flew to Victorville. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, kind of a roundabout way of getting to Victorville, I guess. <laughs> 15,000 miles instead of 980 miles? Eh, maybe. Okay. Uh, and I think a lot of people are saying this is tied to just delivery requirements and yeah. they have to physically touch Cutter before they can, you know, do anything else before the end of the year. It was like a tax thing. Well, for... so it's Boeing. The planes are built, but the interiors were not ready. Yeah. And so Boeing wants to get paid because it did its work. Um, and delivered the planes as best it could. The The seats were ordered from a third party that had not yet delivered them. 
and Qatar was waiting to have them delivered and finally said, okay, fine, we'll take delivery of the planes and pay you. And then when it took delivery, did so via Doha, and the exact why is almost certainly tied to regulatory registration and or insurance and or financing reasons. Um, gotcha. And right, this, it's not unique to Qatar. It's not unique to these planes. There have been delivery flights that, you know, took strange routings to get extra flight time in. There have been delivery flights that went, um, you know, a North Atlantic crossing that went a little further north than usual to make sure it could touch Ireland because it was leased from an Irish company and they they had to be in the airspace at some point. Um, and so there's a lot of things like that just throughout the industry that are vestiges of who the hell knows what, but that's the way it was always set up and that's the way it always is. And that's what, you know, you have to physically be there for it to count. And in today's you know, world of basically everything being digital, um, you know, except the planes, the planes are very real physical things, but it's still hard for me to believe that there's, that the requirement that the plane touched Qatar airspace is anything more than a leftover or something that we still do because we've always done it that way and no one's going to figure out how to not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. A relic of the old. I mean, it's in, in this day and age when we're trying to be conscious of environment and how much, you know, extra flying we're doing. Um, this is certainly excessive, right? Yeah. I mean, like right in a, right. Someone should draft a rider to the contract that says, how about we pay you everything but a penny now and we'll pay you the last penny when we're really ready to take delivery later. Yeah. But is this any worse than all the planes that sit parked waiting to take off or at the gate at LaGuardia at Chicago at Newark anywhere from three to 9 PM? (laughs) Every day of the year. Foz just doesn't like idling engines. No, no he's right. right. No, it's a, it's a waste. Like we should have, like Laguardia, cut the slots down by twenty percent so no one has to wait. Are you running for Congress? I sh- maybe I should. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I just like. Is it? Is yeah, I it guess something. Is it accomplishable? I guess is the. And, and you know, someone pointed out like this is seven planes flying fifteen thousand miles each. The total relative impact of these seven flights or 14 flights compared to any given day is nearly nothing. Yeah. But this one was arguably 100% discretionary. Yeah. And that's where it becomes a challenge. Like that's where it becomes stupid. That's where it doesn't look good. Yeah. And, I, and again, I don't think it's like a judgment against Qatar Airways. I, I, I think it's, it's kind of the system in the way the system's designed to take plane deliveries. It's outdated, right. For what we're doing today. Yeah. Um, Anything you want to add? Is that Orphaz to that? I did see someone commenting, gosh, if only they put a bunch of travel bloggers on board, then the coverage would have been great. <laughs> it's true, though. But I, I, I can't, but I couldn't find that. It was someone quote tweeted me, and I couldn't find it. And it, I want to point out that the whole reason that they're being delivered this way and delayed is because they don't have business class seats. So it's really not going to work the way they want it to. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they could have, they could have oh, put them all in economy, but that yeah. should have been what they did. So much travel writers and economy. Well, hey, listen, Akbar really loves his economy class seats, man. He's not a big ju- fan. Not just that. Put them in specific seats right next to each other. No middle seats for weight and balance. The shoes don't let him move. <laughs> and by no middle seat, I assume you mean no empty middle seat. Exactly. No empty middle seat. Just pack them in like sardines. <laughs> oh, that was entertaining. Oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> so, um... The other story that kind of came up uh, during all this, uh, I guess it was today, even we're recording this on Monday, the 30th, uh, Singapore is starting Singapore Narita JFK, 
Is this this is weird to me. Uh, I mean, the question is, are they dropping the Frankfurt flight? Yeah. And this could be related to the fact that Narita JFK is basically going to be gone after March 28th. Yeah. As a route. Oh, because both ANA and JAL are moving to Haneda. Yep, because Delta dropped their flight, as did AA. Well, Delta dropped their flight forever ago. But... Yeah, but yeah. So the few remaining flights that we have between Narita and JFK are going away. I mean, that could be it. I mean, but do you think it's in addition to or in lieu of the Frankfurt JFK? Flight? That's a million dollar question. But like, the, taking a step back, what's the market for Narita JFK? Right? <laughs> Japan's trying to make Narita the low cost airport. Yeah. So where's well, the actual market? Not entirely low cost, and it's still going to have a ton of connections. But it is. But they're they're positioning. If you read the local stuff, they're positioning yeah. Narita as the where the low cost carriers are going to predominantly domicile. That's not to say legacy carriers won't be there as well. Yeah, and it won't be a connecting point. But you know, we've seen the Delta hub and the United hub basically dwindle away into nothing. And I'm sure A and A and JAL has have reduced some connecting flow through there as well as they've added more to um, Haneda. Yeah. And who's the other thing is why Singapore? What are the, who are they going to connect with? A and A, that's it. I mean, they do have quite a few flights via Narita, right? I mean, they have isn't it LA Narita? No, they um, canceled those when they added the nonstops. I thought no, they're still they're, there. Are they? Yeah, they're still there. LA Narita and San Francisco Hong Kong are both still around. Hong Kong's not Narita, just in case you didn't know. I know, but I'm just saying those are flights are still there. They, San, did, was it the Seoul one that they canceled? They canceled one of them. Yeah, yeah Seoul's gone. Okay. Um. So I think it's, I mean, they do still have flights via Narita. Um, I, I don't know. So one. Other <laughs> one, <flight>. yeah. <laughs> uh, Soon to be flights. And they still do an A380 to Narita, or multiple A380s to Narita, out of Singapore. Can, wow. That might just be they don't have the slots to fly them into Haneda. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Like, who's going to fly JFK and Narita? Um, when they can fly to Haneda and be closer to, to downtown Tokyo. I mean, it has to be some sort of flow, but if you're going to New York, why would you take the connecting flight over the nonstop? Or, you know, someone, I was reading something and someone said, well, you know, the flight out of Frankfurt doesn't give you as many good connections. I'm like, I don't think there's many connections in this on this route either. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, what are you connecting to at JFK, right? If you're going Narita JFK, what are you connecting at? Yeah. Right. Unless it's a crew thing, right? Because now you've got a crew that only does a seven-hour flight rather than two crews that do 12-hour flights. Or a 12 and a seven, I guess. 12 and an eight. Yeah. I mean, I guess I always forget that Singapore is now a, a partner of Alaska. Um, so I guess you could fly to the West Coast. <laughs> On what? You're going to do Singapore or Narita, JFK, Portland? Portland, Seattle, San Jose. No, San, San Jose's gone. San Jose's oh. gone. Uh, San Francisco, L.A., well, San Diego. I, you know, if you, if you get creative about it, you can connect via Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about that for a minute? So I was looking up today. Uh, I needed to get from New York um, back to Portland next week. And one of the options J- that United offered me, it, it jumped out at me because it said JFK. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Did something happen that I, I was unaware of? But it was Reed, J- Reed is really, really excited right now. Whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, but the offering is JFK to um, Martha's Vineyard to somewhere else. What's the other one? Uh, was it Boston, Boston. also or just Boston? It was Boston, Chicago, <laughs> Chicago, Portland. But there's another one in there. Then it was Nantucket. Yeah, it was Nantucket, there. yes. So you go Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, Boston, Boston, Chicago, J- uh, Portland. 
I, I feel like in that round is just doomed for for erupts during personally, the winter. Personally, in, in early January, you, you think there might be weather problems somewhere along the way? Maybe. Personally, I think it's still safer than connecting in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, you know, my wife would really love to hear that, so I'm just not going to tell her that she said that. That, that was for Jess, by the way. <laughs> I mean, on a more serious note, it's probably actually is safer than trying to connect in Delhi at night in the winter. <laughs> He's just uh, speaking from experience. They, I mean, they, they had like 30 to 50 flights divert each night while we were connecting through. For what reason? Uh, low visibility, less than a kilometer of visibility. It got down to, it basically got to Cat 3 landings only. Uh, and either the aircraft or crew weren't qualified. So fog or smog? Yes. Both, Okay. Yeah, that's not fun. No, when the smog when the smog is thick enough to to knock your airport ability arrival abilities down, that's not fun at all. We we took off at night, one of the one flights, and then I was like, I can't. She was sitting in the window that trip that segment. She's like, I can't see anything. <laughs> wow, like barely could see the wingtip. I remember years ago taking off from LA and watching the smog just roll over the wing. Yeah, <laughs> as you watch it cut through, and you're like, wow. Yeah, that can't be good. Yeah, the air is thick. <laughs> good for lift. <laughs> Look at that's, you. that's the selling point. The eternal optimist. Yeah, quality aerodynamics science being made up right here, right now. Is that going to be Rolls Royce's new power requirements that you have a certain amount of smog to take off? <laughs> um, I think it's it's so those flights via Martha's Vineyard and um, uh, not the other place, whatever Nantucket? it was. Nantucket. I'm having a brain fart. All right. Um. Uh, those are being operated by Cape Air. The only interesting thing to me would be whether or not those are going to be operated by their new planes in the in the near future. And the PC twelve or whatever. Yeah, uh, not the or PC tectum? twelve. It's, it's uh, the Tectum. The Tectum, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I think they will because I think all of the four hundred twos are going yeah. away. Yeah, those things are pretty ancient. Yeah, but you can get some really nifty lines on uh, Cape. So it's the P twenty twelve, not the PC twelve. P twenty twelve. Yeah, no, that, it's uh, what's also funny about that is Cape Air in the Northeast is generally a JetBlue partner, not a United partner. Yeah, like in Florida, they're a United partner and a JetBlue partner. Um, in the Caribbean, the same. Guam. I think Cape Air might still have one of the Guam routes, even Guam Saipan. Yeah, but uh, in Boston, they're known to be in to Martha's Vineyard, like the Boston or the JFK to Martha's Vineyard flight replaced or it seasonally alternates with JetBlue running at Mainline. Hmm. During the heavy season, it's mainly yeah, during the summer. It's uh, E one ninety. Seth, have you flown Cape Air Cape Air yet? <sighs> I don't think so. You should. No, I mean not since I moved here. I'm trying to remember if I have historically. You should. Yeah, it's a trip. <laughs> Why? Oh, I mean, it's just there's like eleven people. Like they ask you how much you weigh when you check in, so they can figure out weight and balance, <laughs> and they seat you accordingly. Yeah. <laughs> If you're lucky, you can ride in the co-pilot seat. And, while, you know, you're just sitting there making sure not to touch the yoke as it just pokes you and prods you. Yeah, that's what I, I want that. I want to do that. I've Should done that on seaplanes and things like that before. But So the thing with Cape Air is they sell these uh, coupon voucher books. And um, I don't know if it's still like this, but the way they work is it's a 10-pack. You get a discounted rate. And so if you buy, say, something like uh, Bar Harbor to Boston, you know, it's $69 a segment. You buy it for $690. You can use those vouchers for anything that's $69 or less than anywhere Cape Air flies. Hmm. Uh, and I think you can double stack them, too. So if you wanted to fly a route that was 100 bucks, you could use two of those vouchers. 
but it's an interesting way to get some new lines. And I think they, if I remember correctly, they fly up in your neck of the woods. They fly to Bar Harbor seasonally, as well as Augusta. And then whatever the airport in New Hampshire is over by Dartmouth on the west side. Alrighty then. I will have to look into it. None of those are actually near me, but yeah. I mean, I think the closest of any of those is a three-hour drive. Yeah, but Bar Harbor, I, I wouldn't fly to Bar Harbor just to go to Bar Harbor, but Bar Harbor is actually a nice area, so next yeah. time you decide to go venture into Maine, you can have Linnea drive and pick you up at Bar Harbor. <laughs> and then she can hey, drop honey, you. hey, honey, I need you to pick me up at the airport. Yeah. Well, yeah. first I need you to drop me at the bus station so I can get down to Boston, <laughs> and then drive across up into Maine and pick me up when I land in five hours. And then on the way back, she can drop you off at Augusta, and you can fly back home the long way. <laughs> yeah. I, remember earlier in the episode when I said I love my wife? <laughs> Just on the long list of ways to get a divorce, I would argue that staying in India longer would have been easier. Fine. <laughs> Put that out there. The theory. Oh, did uh, you guys have any other stories that you saw this this past week? Uh, I mean, it was kind of a quiet week because of Christmas and, and Hanukkah, but um, any other aviation-related stories? I mean, there was two big crashes, I guess. Uh, one in is it, uh, Tajikistan. Uh, no, Al- Almaty. Almaty. Uh, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, yeah. Um, and that was a Fokker 50, I believe. Uh, Fokker 100? Fokker 100. I thought it was the jet, not the prop. Yep, it is a jet. You are correct. Um, yeah. But people, people did survive. Yeah, some fatalities, but people walked away. They crashed into a building, basically on takeoff. Tiny, uh, like there were like four or five uh, general general aviation incidents in the U.S. this weekend. Yeah, and that was one of the other ones I was going to talk about. The big one was the Louisiana, the one in Louisiana. Yeah, um, yeah, little plane crashed in Asheville. Um, terrible. Last night, Sunday night, I think. Really? Yeah, I mean, everybody survived, so that was cool. But I mean, the, the only thing I was going to add is, uh, I mean, twenty twenty is going to be an interesting year for, and I this is in all seriousness for AA because they have to renegotiate all of your basically all, with all their unions. Hmm. In the best of times, those conver- those negotiations go really poorly, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, um, there is an Italian airline, by the way, that's already announced that their st- that the government has already announced they've revoked their license as of January thirteenth. So we've got our first dead airline of twenty twenty already. Wow. Is Hong Kong Airlines dead yet? No, they're still flying. Yeah, maybe that'll be your new domain. Yeah, <laughs> is HKA dead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, the, uh, someone from the government said they're finally going to stop uh, giving them loans. Not that anyone believes that, but he said it. Wow. So, the other, I mean, there's the interesting, another story I thought of, them, Fozzie, you're, you're bringing up AA made me think of it, uh, was the sick out at Alaska in Seattle. Oh, oh that's right. I didn't hear about this. So, ground crews, um, baggage handlers, uh, there was basically a sick out. It's not, they weren't, Alaska, of course, isn't calling it that, but a large number of people uh, called out sick, um, and bags weren't loaded on planes. They were just kind of left. And planes had to, they were delayed. And it was like, what, uh, December 23rd or something like that. It was like a day or two before Christmas. It was the Sunday before Christmas. So yeah, yeah. it's chaos. Yeah. 22nd, um, I guess. So a bunch of people didn't get their bags delivered to their final destination out of Seattle. Um, and no one else had any other issues. So it was clearly this sick out that caused yeah. the problem. Yeah, to the uh, point, Alaska put out a statement basically like, we didn't deliver, we're very sorry kind of thing. But Yeah, it was it was a good, I think it was a good apology. Um, yeah. Well-worded and stuff. But it's kind of, you know, it's we're back to this. And I can't remember what the issue was with uh, the ground crews. I think it's, they haven't seen pay increase. Uh, let's see here. 
it was something and they're kind of, you know, upset. So are they in-house or outsourced? It's a third party, not Minzy's. It's, um, so yeah, it's probably not great either. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Sorry. I'm looking right now. If anyone would like to audition to be our producer. Yeah. We have a producer at large somewhere. Yeah. But, somewhere. Um, let's see here. Can't tell who they work for. Oh, come on. Ads. <laughs> the internet. Yeah, I can't find it. No big deal. Um, but it was, you know, it was uh, clearly a, a, some kind of organized thing. So, yeah. you know, as we go into the new year, contracts are renewed. These types of things can happen. Um, just be aware of it. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Uh, anything else? That's all I got. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, boys. Looking looking forward to my account resetting to zero in a couple of days. Mm. On the mileage. So. I know. I got my email from United telling me I flew 10,000 EQMs this year. They were very proud of sharing that information with me. <laughs> you get emails from United? I get nothing. <laughs> I do find those emails amusing. Like, your journey with us this year, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, guys, like it, I, I took a flight. <laughs> I flew, I flew 150,000 miles with them. I don't even think they've sent me bag tags. So. <laughs> details. Yeah. Anyway. Well, to our listeners, uh, hope you enjoyed the show. If you have comments or questions or want us to talk about something specific, uh, you can send us an email, tweet us at dotslines or on our website, moredotsmorelines.com. If you want to get the show a little early, you can go to patreon.com and look us up. Um, until next time, happy travels. Take care. Take care.